winds of change are blowing and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabo, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, a wind whistler, and soul coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin awake. Welcome to another week of the Practical Shaman podcast. And today started out with a little giggle about my new power animal that came to me a, a couple of weeks ago. And it was a lion. And, you know, I was kind of looking for something a little more angelic at this point in my life. And the lion looked up at me and said, but I can fly. And that's kind of the, the kind of conversation we're going to have today about flying. And I have a wonderful guest. And uh, her name is Marty Spiegelman. And she brings over four decades of specialized training in shamanic traditions and related fields to her current work as a leadership advisor, executive mentor, and shamanic teacher. She is the founder of Shaman's Light, a professional level shaman, shamanic initiation and mentorship program dedicated to the evolution of consciousness and the creation of abundance through passion-based work. Marty holds an MBA in biochemistry from Harvard and an MFA in graphic design from Yale. She also has advanced training in psychology, anthropology, and neurophysiology, and she is initiated to shaman traditions in Peru, West Africa, and the Himalayas. Marty's insight into our uniquely human capacity to create, evolve, and thrive provide the inspiration for the training programs and lectures she offers around the world. Wow. It's always just such a, a gift to, to, to speak with you, and we go way back. Uh, Marty was one of the first uh, Desert Holistic Network members, and uh, that start. We were like, we were really early adopters in 2005. Like, you know, thinking the whole world was ready for what we had to offer, and and I don't know that they were, and <laughs> sometimes you still wonder if they still are. But here we are, still talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I can't figure out if I was born a hundred years too soon or a hundred years too late. <laughs> Exactly. You know, when the winds of spirit, I thought, okay, now there's this book and it's going to be right on time, right? Right. And then, you know, I get a little message from the winds. Well, why do you think you had to learn how to wait when your restaurant was 10 years ahead of its time and your holistic network was 15 years ahead of its time? We just thought you'd be great for waiting. And I <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting about time because I think a lot of people when we were coming up through the ranks, a lot of people were rushing at this. And as you said, we all thought everybody was ready for it. And, and that dissipated. People really, really weren't ready. And I, I see a lot of this people really rushing in and wanting to say something and getting stuff out there. And then it feels like we're being asked to wait. But I think what is actually going on is that we're being forced into a different relationship with time itself. Mm. It isn't about being here and getting there. <clears throat> it's about, the, the image I always have is that modern consciousness runs on flat maps. And so we're at point A and we have to get to point C by going through point B. And when we get to point C, we start over. But I think what universal consciousness is doing is kind of unfurling the map into three dimensions. So instead of us being horizontal, it's saying, no, no, you don't travel this way. You be the axis this way. And spirit and the universe runs through you vertically and, and comes out of you like a fountain. And so you spread in all dimensions in the world. So you don't have to go anywhere, but you do have to learn how to be upright and let, let these dynamics work this way. That is so interesting because um, 
a couple weeks ago for the summer solstice, I did this exercise about a wind spin. And somebody goes, oh, no, that's like a process somebody else taught years ago. And I'm there like, no, no. And I couldn't put it into words that it was the vertical clearing instead of the pulling out horizontally. And you just, you just gave me like fuel for the next book. So I'm thrilled. Thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and uh, so both you and I agree that shamanic wisdom and, you know, is practical wisdom. Mm -hmm. And and so let's talk a little bit about that because people, one of the things people like to do is separate. I'm now doing my shamanic work and I'm now doing my personal work. And no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Once that separation dissolves, the, the everything is possible. Right, right, exactly. Um, you know, people say exactly those kind of things to me. And I say, the first thing I say is let's take out the word shamanism. Because I think that, uh, that creates a kind of separation. People say, I'm this or I'm that. I'm this or I'm that. That's why they have to do their shamanic work here and their other stuff there. The people that we moderns call shamans, the, the shamans were simply the keepers of consciousness of their culture, their village, their culture, depending on their role in the, in the larger collective. They were the experts in using perception and awareness to maintain well-being in their villages and in their countries and throughout their culture and the really great shamans i'll continue to work, use that word just for convenience but the really great shamans were not only in charge of their current time and consciousness and well-being emotional well-being social well-being the the well-being of the crops and the herds everything they were in charge of creating continuity, of bridging the wisdom forward. So the next generation would have it, the next generation would have it. And not just the same wisdom, but as, as each season passed, they would learn things. This is what humans do. We, we discover, we learn things. So they would add to the wisdom base. They wouldn't replace wisdom. They would add to it and evolve it. And this was passed on. This continuity of conscious living, well-being, is what quote-unquote shamanism is really about. And, and to do this, yeah, you have to know where the sun and the moon are. You have to know what the weather's doing, hence the wisdom of the winds. You have to be able to read the coastline if you're a northern shaman. The, the, um, the northern shamans used to be able to see the coastline by looking at its reflection in the clouds. And they could also see what the ice pack was because the clouds would be a different color. We can't do that now. We have no idea. They could listen to the way the water meets the shore and understand where the storms were on the ocean and what kind of fish would be brought in and so on. So this business of shamanic culture, it's not esoteric. It's not woo-woo. It's just the best of human wisdom. And I often just call it indigenous wisdom. So we, we, it is for practicality, it is for consciousness. And I mean, I, another thing I always tell my students is that consciousness left to its own devices, in other words, it's a force bigger than humans, it doesn't belong to us, left to its own devices, it does nothing but produce states of fulfillment with the internal momentum to produce more. So yes, we need it. And yes, this is, this is what we're doing in the world, is helping people remember. And, and both you and I both also, we have a lot of similarities that we both work with business executives. And mm -hmm. 
one last week I was telling this executive who's at, you know, more the fifties age ish. I said, mm -hmm. your job is, is to help the next generation of leaders become informed. Yeah. And I mean, to step back for a minute, I'm thinking like it's our responsibility to understand where they are. Right. Is that kind of what you were mm -hmm. saying in terms of yeah. um, that mm -hmm. consciousness expanding because there's a different consciousness on the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I like the way Max Planck said it. He, he was a, a great physicist, for those of you who haven't heard his name. But Max was <clears throat> apparently one day staring at the uh, model of an atom. And he was remarking on how it looked like the universe, and it was so amazing. And, and he said, just looking at this model, he could feel that there were forces that kept the electrons in their orbits. And he kept staring at this and feeling what he was feeling. And he said he realized at one point that there's an intelligence that moves the forces that keep the electrons in their orbits. And that intelligence is what I call consciousness with a capital C. Now, what happens to humans is, modern humans in particular, we've learned to use our awareness in a very particular way that's kind of hyper-focused, I would say over-focused. So we are no longer aware of that big intelligence and we've kind of flattened the world down to going from A to B to C and back again. And we're using a part of our minds that can only choose uh, one thing or another. And so this is where we find our local leaders is in this place of, you know, with great foresight and able to make great plans and beautiful maps, but, but in a state of consciousness that doesn't know the greater thing and only chooses A or B. And this, yes, we have to meet them there because they can't understand the other dimensions. But it is possible as we meet them there to unfurl them. Just like we were talking about before, most people travel on this flat horizontal line and we were talking about how, no, you gotta come vertical. Mm -hmm. Let things happen exactly where you are. You can teach leaders how to do that. Not all leaders, but some, you can. We just have to remind them that the world is not flat. Right. <laughs> we already learned that in, you know, the, in the uh, 1500s. So I yeah. guess, or maybe even earlier, people recognize that. Earlier. Yeah. You, you know, the, that's, what, that's what the wind consciousness is about. When mm -hmm. I first entered into this wind consciousness is that that wind was here at the beginning. Uh -huh. So wind, you know, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to get all this cultural appropriation and all of this stuff. And the winds kept saying, Renee, we were here first. We were here first. Yeah. People heard our messages on the wind and then, uh, and then they adapted them for whether they were in the North Pole and they needed to see things this way or the jungle and they needed to hear things, move things another way. And so how would you say that we get the modern leaders and educators interested enough to hear the wind. What I think is, well, this is really what I've been taught by indigenous elders around the world. I think, um, first of all, consciousness is experiential. And so to know the wind, you have to experience the wind. When we're thinking, like modern people do, all we do is think and focus on words and thought forms and all that stuff. When we're thinking, we're not actually experiencing. We're not in, in a sensing relationship to the world. So 
the, the most important step, the first step is the hardest step with modern leaders, whether they're in business or governance or education, whatever. The most important step is to get them into experience. So I always imagine these two parallel tracks. And on one track, you can imagine it, the left track traveling ahead of yourself. On one track, you're only in sensing experience of the world. So you take people out and you give them exercises, you make them feel the wind. They may not understand wind language yet, but you make them feel the wind and see what comes up in their imagination, right? And you keep doing that. I take people out and have them notice beauty or notice 10 different shades of green and close their eyes and remember the 10 shades of green. The simplest things, uh, combinations of shape and color they've never seen before, really simple things. And, and you don't relate it to anything. You, you teach them to stay in pure experience. And then you take them back to the office. And you say, okay, before we went outside, you were worried about this one problem. Take a look at the problem again. And nine times out of 10, they'll see it differently. Because what we've done in nature is to open their awareness, to literally open their capacity to perceive more. That's the, awesome. The, the challenge is, let me tell you a little anecdote. I, I had one um, group here for just an intro day. It was a bunch of... CEOs and entrepreneurs from the Bay Area. And I gave them the um, go out and notice beauty exercise. They were just supposed to notice beauty and come back and talk about what was beautiful. Was it the color, the size, whatever. And this guy, young entrepreneur, young CEO, comes back from out of the forest and he's holding in front of them this tiny woodland orchid, which he really shouldn't have picked, right? <laughs> it's like this rare plant, right? But he's holding it out in front of him and his eyes are bugging wide open. He walked right up to me like this and he said, this is scary. The problem is if we think too much, it becomes terrifying to feel. But this is the first hurdle is actually, and what we're doing is we're opening people to the human nervous system, which is quite miraculous. And that nervous system that we've been given is what remembers the speech of the wind. That's so awesome. <clears throat> and and I, I mentioned I tapped upon cultural appropriation and um, and I remember Don Manuel speak you know being translated one day to say that that Westerners were the, the new shamans, that they would, that they would carry the message because, and, and as you've seen in Peru and places like that, a lot of the, the shaman ways have died out when people moved to the city and got their cell phones. So the question becomes is, are we limiting this idea of what shamanism is or isn't to the point where we're not giving people the opportunity to step in, you know, and actually have this ongoing dialogue with nature. Yes, a resounding yes to that. You know, uh, Don Manuel's generation um, of Ultima Sayoks in Peru was really, the, I think, the last great generation of Ultima Sayoks. And it was quite a radical vision that he had, and he was ridiculed for it. But he said, our way is dying, our timing is dying, and we need to pass this on. So it's gonna be the people from the North. And he was correct about that. And I think he also was correct in saying, as I've heard so many indigenous elders say, that this wisdom, it's the wisdom that we need, not the form. 
right? We're not supposed to put on shows and beaded hats and shake rattles. We're supposed to take the wisdom itself and apply it in our world, our world which we've created. So we're going to be taking timeless wisdom and creating uh, new outcomes with it because it's never been done in our world before. So this is not appropriation of a culture. This is the normal continuity of wisdom that human cultures have been engaged in forever, passing the wisdom on. Don't lose the wisdom. One of the, um, the mountain spirits we work with said to us, don't forget what you already know. <laughs> right? So we have to. Yeah, we have to, to carry it on. And I think there's... Um, it's a little bit of silliness to my mind when people start worrying, oh, you're appropriating the culture. This is human wisdom. And in particular, the wisdom of the Andes and Central America, this is of the Americas for the Americas. It's a, a very particular transmission of wisdom and we need to open it up to people. And when I got into the research for the winds of spirit, I'm grateful. Uh, you don't even imagine how grateful I am for the, the people who wrote those songs and, yeah. and you know, and, and, the, and even the missionaries who were the first to be able to write down what was going on, whether or not how it was appropriated from there, that's a whole different mm -hmm. day. But, you know, we we're, and where did this wisdom access come to? It's like all of a sudden, the, the, like you said, a vertical access, a doorway opened up and mm -hmm. Google I mean, for all intents and purposes, Google digitized everything and made this kind of research possible, which would have probably taken a lifetime or two years, you know, in the past. So yeah. we, we're not saying, and I believe that you're not saying we can't turn our backs from technology. No. And so how do you incorporate that into your, into your world view of your work? How do you use these mediums and the traditions to empower our leaders who need it. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, let, let me just repeat again that what we modern people are tasked with is bringing the original wisdom forward, the principles, the technologies, the, um, the basic teachings of these traditions, because these teachings have kept civilizations alive for tens of thousands of years. The only thing that hasn't happened yet is the pure teachings have not yet been applied to our world. So that's number one. Number two, I remember sitting um, in a session with the mountain spirits and the Altima Sioux, and one of the mountain spirits said to us, somebody was complaining about it's too hard to get together. And the mountain spirit said, you have the internet, use it. <laughs> so, so, you know, we use the internet to do teleconferences. I do a tremendous amount of consulting and teaching by teleconference, by webinar, by telephone. Look at what we're doing right now. You know, the, the local, um, the word is IU, the local community or group is, is the modern group is not local. So we have this connectivity that we've invented, the internet. It's kind of the, the nervous system of the globe for us now. So why not use it? I don't see it as an impediment. So for, for business people, I'll put them on the telephone. I say, you don't even have to drive to see me. Let's get on the phone. I'll teach you over the phone. You talk to me over the phone. We can do screen sharing. I think that the internet is, uh, is really important because there's so many people on the planet. One of the things that, that we have that no indigenous culture has had is the scale of population and the scale of the reach that we have. So 
we need to weave in our capacity with modern technology, but not use it to erase the original technologies of consciousness. They go together. Give some people some, you know, some simple tools. And you kind of did with what you did with the executives, like going outside. But mm -hmm. we might have some people who think like, oh, what, is, what are they even talking about here? <laughs> so where, where would they start? Well, um, one of the things that I recommend to people who, who just want to start on their own is that they buy Tom Brown Jr.'s book, Nature Observation and Wildlife Tracking. I think I may have the title a little bit off, but it's, it's Nature Observation and Tracking. And in Tom Brown's book, he has collected from his Native American sources, but I, I know that these are found around the world. He has collected the basic sensory exercises that all indigenous people use to train their children to know the world. And I think the best thing for people to do is get Tom Brown Jr.'s book and do the exercises and do the exercises and do the exercises and keep a little notebook. I would pick one, uh, maybe a business problem, one relationship challenge, at least one, but don't pick 10 because you have to track it. Pick one thing <laughs> that you're trying to solve or open up or something and just study it. Go out and do nature exercises for even 15 minutes a day and come back in and look at that problem and keep doing those nature exercises until you suddenly see your problem really differently. It's the best quick advice I can give. And you know, there's an exercise in Winds of Spirit called a wind walk where you actually go outside your door, ask a question, Wait until you feel the wind in some form, whether it's your own breath on a hot, stymie day or, you know, yeah. a gust, and then just walk. Put your question aside and walk. And mm -hmm. I mean, sure enough, you're going to know by the time you, you know, walk a quarter of a mile or a block, a, a little bit more. And, and yeah. I think that they're, they're so simple that we sometimes overlook that, these, these magical messages. Uh, a recent podcast was with a mother who's doing a, a nature-based homeschool. Oh, and, great. And her children are wind whistler. They love, when they heard it, they just loved it. You yeah. know, so, so yeah. I think that if we can inspire and awaken that, that breath of fresh air in young people, and I think mm -hmm. some of them already have it. Although we have time for another question. And, and the one that I would like to ask you is, I think that we're having um, a crisis of faith in this country yeah. uh, at a global level. And, and do you agree with that? And, and you know, what, how, do you, how do you think that, that shamanism or indigenous practices can help restore us to our humanity? Um, talked for a week on this. I, I love this. Um, to me, it's kind of a package deal. Um, if, if you go out and spend time in nature, I would really suggest having a precise exercise that you're focused on because otherwise the modern mind will go someplace else. But if you learn to spend time in nature and experience nature, feel the energy of the earth, feel the wind, do some of Tom, Tom Brown's exercises, it will change you. It, it's, a, 
it's really a package deal because those those exercises what they're doing is changing how you use awareness and so it changes what you are aware of and what you are in relationship to i think we could say there's a crisis of faith in our country but i also think if you look at what is working there's a tremendous amount of consciousness rising yeah, if we look at, at things that we may not like so much that are going on, it's such a compression of consciousness. Consciousness is a really big force, and it's going to bust out. And it will bust out in people doing the right thing. It will bust out with new energy. And so I kind of think this is the, the big compression that we needed in order to burst through to the next level. But going back to nature, this is what all indigenous people will say you can't forget the earth you have to be in relationship to the earth now a modern person takes that as um, some sort of directive and says yes or no to it but actually what happens to the human heart and soul when you give yourself the opportunity to learn how to feel and experience nature without thinking no thinking no naming no judging no storytelling pure experience through the senses energy light color shape whatever it is scent wind it changes your consciousness. And then you become a person who is connected collectively, connected to the greater thing. And then your decisions, your priorities, your heart is all geared to the things we're looking for, which is love and collective abundance and evolution. It's how we be more than, how, than what we do. And that's so true because throughout history, you find that, um, that we've always sought, you know, yes. there's yeah. never like the earliest cave drawings show that people were trying to locate themselves in this time and space coordinate, not like somehow it went horizontal, as you said, but it was always a vertical and horizontal access. And mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, th this mark, this equidistant cross is important in all cultures. Mm -hmm. And I always say to my students, this, this thing in Quechua, this is called Pacha. It's a coordinate in space-time. And we exist right in the middle. So if you take this hatch mark and you rotate it in space and you put a vertical axis through it, you get a three-dimensional hatch mark, and that's what a human being is. Mm -hmm. and we are that vertical axis. The universe flows through us, creates through us, and we have to be present to that. I always say that you have to navigate your ship from your own wheelhouse and that's yes. <laughs> that's what it, that's what that means it means that there's yeah. no other place in the world that you can navigate from exactly yeah so yeah. tell us where we can find you and, and all of that good information and if there's um one last thought you'd like to leave everyone with and Okay, well, uh, you can find me. I have two websites. One is the Shaman's Light website, which is actually under my name, martyspiegelman.org. On the training and products page, there's a link to my online courses and some recordings of me being interviewed similar to this. Uh, I think they'll be uh, interesting for people, especially in business. And um, I'm also in a documentary called Insae. I-N-N-S-A-E-I -N -N -E on Netflix. It's a wonderful documentary on intuition. Um, and my other website geared more toward businesses is called Awakening Value. It's, it's awakeningvalue.com. And that describes some of the consulting that I do. 
Great. So that's where you can find me. And I'm in California. I have a, a long-term uh, shamanic training program. It's really a consciousness training program for uh, uh, entrepreneurs and individual professional people. Um, so you can ask me, call me and ask me about that or email me at shamans underscore light at mac.com. And I think a thought I would leave people with is, oh, I always think of Don Manuel. And one of the things he said to us always was, the closer you are to Pachamama, the earth, the better off you are. So simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're so lucky that um, we were of the the early adopters who got to meet Don Manuel and he yeah. actually, he actually yeah. blew my rights into my head. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, one of the few people yeah. who really, well, I was one of the few people who, who had yeah. that experience. And, mm -hmm. and then I was informed that it would take me a long time to grow into the seeds that had been planted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here I am 25 years later. So. Yeah. All, all of us, right? <laughs> Uh-huh, right. Well, yeah, there's such a delight, and maybe we'll come back and talk about this faith question with me, and we could we could certainly yeah. have many good uh, conversations, and I'd love to have you back on the, the Practical Shaman podcast. And this is a weekly podcast, and I'm bringing to you all things shamanic, which gives me a lot of leeway. <laughs> it's wonderful. Thank you, Renee. It's been great. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. <laughs>